We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the <laughs> Is For Podcast. For those of you wondering why we're laughing a little bit, it's because uh, we had a lapse in communication where uh, Sarge was just, oh, well, he was just lagging in, in brain function. But hello, welcome to the Is For Podcast. I am Danger, and I am joined with uh, with two fellas who are not suffering from shell shock, but they are tubular. I got... Old Sarge and Monster. Sarge, say hello. Howdy, everyone. I want to take this moment before we move on to Monster to let everybody know that Monster has a really righteous haircut. Like, I'm digging his haircut. I really am. Monster, I'm glad you got rid of the Ellen DeGeneres. Welcome. Hello. Yeah, I've got I've, I've got that real short on the sides, kind of long on top. It's not, you know, I ain't got any stuff in it right now, so it looks a little silly, but, you know, getting there. But, uh... You know, considering what we're talking about, I'm pretty excited tonight. Cowabunga, dudes. Yeah. All right. Well, if you have not picked up on the few keywords that we have put into tonight's episode, tonight, the is for podcast. T is for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And we are talking the 1990 movie. Yes, we're talking the 1990 movie. We are not talking the Turtles franchise, the Turtles empire overall. We are just going to be talking about the 1990s movie. Now, let's start with Monster. Monster, obviously you are excited <laughs> to talk about this tonight. Why? Why are you so excited to talk about the 1990 movie? So, late 80s, early 90s was a really cool time for PG slash PG-13 action-oriented films that kids could watch. Think about the Michael Keaton Batman. There was a few others. There was also some hard R ones, too, that were coming around, like Predator and uh, Demolition Man and some of those. But I remember watching the, uh, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie several times. Huge fan of the costume design, the practical effects, the action... It was one of those movies that was sort of geared towards kids, but they still took it seriously and they showed respect to the uh, source material. Unlike some of the uh, future in incarnations of the turtles. Yeah. The turtles have not been treated with respect in every visual medium, but you know, they've, they've had some successes, some failures, some really bad failures at that. But the, uh, the, the 1990s movie, is uh was a wonderful step out for it. Now, Sarge, would you like to tell me about your experience with the 1990 movie? Oh, the the movie was wonderful. I mean, it was like one of those. It was one of those ones that once you watch it, it's permanently ingrained in your brain. You don't have to watch it a thousand times because all the zingers and one liners stick there. I mean, a lot of people don't like. I mean, I don't forget. I mean, somebody see a lot of people like I don't forget. Like when they're sitting there and there's like Michelangelo sitting with the sucker and he's like, "Pizza dudes got ten minutes, thirty or whatever seconds." He said, "Thirty seconds, thirty seconds." Yes. That's right. Which that was something I was going to save till later. But since you brought it up, does anybody actually remember any actual pizza delivery place doing thirty minutes or free? Yes. 
Yes. yes dominoes. Ha. Huh. Funny you mentioned dominoes, but go on. What what do you I mean? I don't I don't remember anything. Well that that no, that was their thing. 30 minutes or less, or you're I don't know if the pizza was free or you got a discount. I I think what they did was if they didn't deliver it in the time they said they would, they would give you a voucher for a, a free pizza next time. So it was one of those deals where it was like, yeah, they gave you like a coupon for their failure, but it required you to continue to purchase Domino's pizza. Well, like I I'd never came across a pizza place i delivered pizza myself like i delivered pizza for a couple years i never remember it and according to the movie that i watched today it wasn't free it was just a discount from it because he hands him a 10 and then he's like hey the total's 13 which goes to show that uh michelangelo was a bad tipper you know (laughs) um that's neither here nor there. No, it is because that's what we're talking about tonight. So, well, I think turtles have a different scale when it comes to tipping. You know, we have fifteen percent turtles. Maybe it's it's a different percentage. I don't know. I would like to know what turtle percentage of tipping is for <laughs> the sake of conversation, but because that now leads me down another path in my brain that goes off in weird directions. But anyway, <laughs> um, we are going to talk the movie now. So, quick, quick facts. Directed by Steve Barron, the uh, you know the comic book. Do we know who the comic book was uh, created by? Okay, not no. everybody at once. It's uh, Kevin, es- Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Produced or distributed by New Line Cinema. Produced by Golden Harvest. Which uh, this was the only movie I actually remember watching that had Golden Harvest pop up on it. Golden Harvest pretty much produced kung fu Asian movies throughout. You know the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even still today, but not quite kung fu movies, but largely Asian movies in that market. Released March 30th, 1990. Now, do we really, do I really need to describe what this movie is? It was the Ninja Turtles movie. Some parts were, you know, taken from different places, you know, comic books, uh, the TV show, the cartoon that really wasn't very successful at the time. You know, it was, and after this, the cartoon really blew up, but you know, that's what the movie is. It was a serious approach to what was a ridiculous idea for, (laughs) for a story, you know, human sized fighting turtles. Sounds ridiculous. If I remember right, but I love it. If I remember right, um, Judith is it Hoag? Is that how you I, say it? Hogue? I think it's Hogue, but yeah, Hoag. <laughs> like Hoag. Oh, like like when like <laughs> right. when you start up a game and it's low adding. <laughs> when she auditioned for the when she auditioned for the role of April O'Neil, she didn't know exactly what this was about. Now, if I remember right, because this was in the Robin Williams documentary, um, Robin Williams gave her information from his own comic books, his own Ninja Turtle comic books to help her figure out her role. He did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, he had quite the extensive collection of the comic books. She wasn't expecting a six foot tall green puffy costume to come walking up to her with Corey Feldman's voice. She uh, wasn't prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> is anybody prepared for that? No, no. <laughs> but uh, the Donatello actually in, in research, I didn't include this in, but this was something that I just was looking at a bit ago as well. Donatello was only 5'2", according to what I found. So not six foot, 5'2". He's a little guy, but still big ass <gasps> turtle. So yeah, it's still a, it's a still slightly above average size turtle. How about that? Yeah. All right. Fair, fair, fair. All right. So in the 80s, 
they actually had several people come to him and try to pitch different movies to him, you know, Eastman and Laird. And one of the pitches was from Roger Corman. We've talked about Roger Corman briefly in the past. Uh, he's, he's a personal hero of mine. Yeah, he's put out a fair amount of schlock, some of which is good, some of which is bad, just bad. The vast most, majority most is of it's bad. bad. Yeah, most of it's just bad. So anyway. But there's a lot of it. Oh, there's a lot. There, There's a lot. He actually <laughs> stopped directing movies in the 90s, in, in 1990. But all before that, it was just, it was schlock. He just produced a whole bunch of it in the 90s, uh, 90s, 2000s, up to today. So, all right. His idea was to have the Turtles played by Gallagher, Sam Kennison, Bobcat Goldthwait, and Billy Crystal. They would have turtle shells on and their faces, arms, and legs would be painted green. That would be the loudest movie ever because all Sam Kennison did was scream. Bobcat Goldthwaite just did his voice all the time. Uh, Who was actually really good friends with uh, Robin Williams. And uh, Gallagher would just smash fruit everywhere all the time. It would be a messy, loud movie. Of course, Billy Crystal's Billy Crystal, and I love him. That sounds beautiful. Oh, I would love it. I would watch the hell out of that movie. Yeah. That sounds like the worst idea I've ever heard, and I would love to see it. That's a- <laughs> it, it's, it's one of the best worst ideas ever. Side note, Gallagher is actually way funnier than the Sledgematic stuff, mm-hmm. where oh, he yeah. smashes oh, yeah. the watermelons. I've seen a couple of his stand-ups. He goes into a lot of like wordplay, mm-hmm. and he's, he's a pretty funny guy. He also kind of looks like my dad, so anyway. He kind of does. Never really thought about it, but yeah, <laughs> uh, he, he is a pretty funny guy. I actually really like his, his stuff. The, the shtick of smashing, uh, smashing fruit you know, kind of got overplayed, but okay. Another treatment that was that was pitched out to him would have pushed Turtles into a little bit more of the R-rated category, but not for violence, like you would expect with a main character having two bladed weapons. But it actually would have included a scene with uh, nude nuns on roller skates fighting the Ninja Turtles. Okay, tell me more. I, I have no more details on it. I could not find more details mm. on it, but I really want to know how we know they're nuns if they're I nude. I don't... I. Don't think you researched that hard enough. I came across the uh, fact, and I can, in fact, tell you that I did research that more. There's just little to know. I don't want to know about your browser history now. Look, look, he used DuckDuckGo. He's fine. Nobody knows. It's it's okay. I've, I understand it's, where you went to research this clip. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> this podcast, not sponsored by DuckDuckGo. Oh, but it should be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it should sponsor our browser histories for research purposes. But, all right. So let's just jump into the uh, the cast of things. So Judith Hogue Hoag has <laughs> April O'Neil. <Hoag. laughs> Judith Hoag. Yes, I had the, uh, the, the, um, the note about Robin Williams helping her out. So, uh, but we got that one out of the way. So cool. Thanks. Here, here's uh, the thundercloud, and there it is being stolen. Yeah, no, usually it's over on this side, but tonight it's on that about. side. Yeah. Okay, so she was not asked to reprise her role as April in the sequels because she complained <laughs> the whole time. She was difficult to work with. She was charming and pithy in the movie, but I do think part of that was because that's her annoyance coming through on things. But she complained about the amount of violence. In the movie, in addition to the long shoots, it, it's a movie about fighting turtles. You do expect it not to be violent. I don't. I don't know. So, Plus, it's not like she had to wear one of the turtle costumes. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, 
Jennifer Beals, Marissa Tomei, Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Melanie Griffith, Winona Ryder, and Brooke Shields were all considered for the role. And I always think it's funny when they talk about who's considered for a role because this was an independent movie. And it's like, we could consider somebody else for this podcast, but they may not do it. They may yeah. never have shown up for auditions I, or anything. So. I consider Johnny Depp a personal friend of mine, but I don't know that he knows that. Speaking of Johnny Depp, um, yes! Elias, Elias Kodas, <laughs> who played Casey Jones, who was always a favorite of mine for obvious oh, yeah. reasons. So Johnny Depp, Keanu Reeves, Kirsten Slater, Lou Diamond Phillips, Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, Brian Austin Green, Alex Winter, and River Phoenix were all considered for the role. But I don't know if any of them came to auditions. But we, yeah, know, and I'm sure, we know he did. And I'm sure Elias Kodas got it just because he he was the best for the role. I'm yeah. sure. Uh, I yeah, think he was considered best for the role because he actually showed up. Uh, all right. So Jay Patterson as Charles Pennington, April's boss. Michael Turney as Danny Pennington, his son, uh, you know, Charles's son. And the character Danny only appears in this movie. He's never seen again in the comic books, the TV shows, nothing. So Danny appears here and he wears Sid Vicious shirts the entire time. If you didn't notice, except for the very end, which he's referred to as Dan for the only time. And he's not wearing a Sid Vicious shirt. So uh, James Sato as Oroku Sakai or Shredder. And then also Sam Rockwell is uh, one of the, the, the foot, the head foot boys. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. So voicing the turtles, Brian Tochi as Leonardo, Josh Payas as uh, Raphael, and he actually suffered claustrophobia, which he's the only actor who actually voiced and did the stunt work in the, the turtle suit. And so he was the only one that was, you know, actually voicing lines on set. But then as soon as they would yell cut, he would take his helmet off. You know, as a kid, you don't think about these things. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know that I ever thought any different until I became an adult that like, Oh yeah, the guy in the suit is probably not the voice. Like that's probably two different people, but that's pretty cool that he actually did both. Yeah. And so we know Corey Feldman was Donatello and Corey Feldman was only offered and he accepted right away because he was told that it was going to be a, a sleeper of a movie, probably maybe get some success on VHS, but he was only given 1500 bucks for the role. Just 1500 bucks. Robbie Rist as Michelangelo. Uh, Kevin Clash as Splinter. Okay, so the Shredder is a weird thing because uh, David McCharen, I think is how it's pronounced, uh, played him at some points, but then James Sato played him at other places. I'm not really sure which ones were where. Uh, Do you know who Kevin Clash is? I don't. So Kevin Clash is pretty well known because he worked on Sesame Street if I'm not mistaken, he is the voice of Elmo. Didn't know that. Along with, yeah, yeah, he's the voice of Elmo uh, as well as several other characters. Okay. Now, wasn't Corey Feldman? I know you mentioned he only got paid fifteen hundred bucks for his role, which, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a shot to the gut. But mm -hmm. it'll be even uh, more of a shot to the gut when we talk about how much money the movie made. Yeah. <laughs> but didn't he just come off of? Uh, I forget. Lost Boys. I think he did. No, Burbs. The Burbs. I, I think he did just do the Burbs. And yeah. he was complaining about a lot for showing up late to recording sessions, but he was dealing with his substance abuse problem that was largely, you know, publicized. I'm thinking maybe if it was not for the Ninja Turtles movie, then we wouldn't have gotten the amazing Corey Feldman and the Angels album that he made recently. <laughs> uh, because he was highly inspired by 
the greatest soundtrack made on a Casio keyboard because that opening song in this movie is just just Casio keyboard all the way. Anyway, I uh, just recently listened to an episode of a podcast about the album, the double album that Corey Feldman made with the Angels. It's it's about 28 tracks and about an hour long. I didn't uh, know it was a double album. Oh, it's it's something. It's a great piece of artistic creativity. Look, a full disclosure. That's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> no, Cor- Corey Feldman is a a very troubled man, and mm-hmm. I and I hope he gets the help he needs. I'm pretty sure he experienced some really heavy shit when he was a kid, and he has not dealt with it, and he's in a really bad spot. Uh, okay, but really his album is quite a lot of fun. I mean, he was Friday the Thirteenth. Part four. Yeah, part four. New new beginning, right? Yeah. Okay. So My favorite. he was in Goonies and then two Cindy Lauper videos. One of which and then was the Lost Boys. One of which was the Goonies theme song. Yeah. Yep. Uh then Lost Boys. Stand nope. Stand by me. Then Lost oh, Boys. Oh, another Frank. classic. Yeah. So I mean, so he had a he had a huge like I don't want to say social boom, but I mean he, he was big. Yeah, and and what's crazy is he would have been in 1990 coming off of those movies. He still would have been a pretty young kid. I mean, maybe a teenager, but pretty young. And I never thought any of the turtles sounded like kids. I always thought the turtles sounded like big, tough guys. Well, Lost Boys, Lost Boys, Corey Feldman played a older teenager, if I remember correctly. He didn't play like the young teenager. I think he was like a an, an older teenager in that. He couldn't have been. He couldn't have been older than probably eighteen or nineteen. I'm going to Google. Did. Yeah, going to Google. I, I would. That's my guess. Is I'm going to say he was like seventeen, eighteen, nineteen when okay. he did Ninja Turtles. So this is not C is for Corey Feldman. <laughs> Look, there's a lot to unpack with the Feldster. Okay. Okay. He was 14 years old when he was on the set of Lost Boys. Okay, so that so, means so that means if he did Lost Boys in '87, that means he was 17 when he voiced Donatello. And he does not sound like a 17 year old oh, kid he, coming he, out of that tournament. He I mean, doesn't I sound like a, do it to you. He doesn't sound like a 17 year old now. Have you heard him? Well, yeah. drugs and some of the producers he had to be around, but that's not the point. Please continue. Yeah, he's uh, he's not moving a deep, back on with he's, he's not a deep voice fellow. So, all right. Ugh. So let's talk about the production of it right quick. The script. It was produced. Done. It was produced. All right. So the script was mainly based around the comics, but had a little bit of the uh, the eighties cartoon thrown in there. But you know, the comic, the cartoon was the first time that the the turtles actually had different color bandanas. And then after the uh, the movie, it was pretty much just solidified from that point going forward. So most of production took place in Wilmington with a couple shots, Wilmington, North Carolina. And mm-hmm. and with a couple shots in New York uh, City during the summer of '89, when all the filming was being done, and it was just really to capture famous landmarks like the Empire State Building, Times Square, and the Hudson River. Now, do you guys remember what the uh, what the original kind of trailer for it was, where it was the turtle shells were seen popping up in the Hudson River, but then that was supposed to be the uh, the original shot. It was scrapped. It was used at different places, you know, for promotion things, but it wasn't actually put into the movie. So to get the right design, they uh, sent production designers, Roy Forge Smith 
and the art designer Gary Westner to New York to take pictures for four months and get you know shots of rooftops, famous landmarks, and things like that. So while in New York, they were allowed to explore abandoned subway lines, and uh, they could get a- they got access to city sewers. But the structure of the sewer had simple sewer issues, and so they were like, eh, "Yeah, probably probably not going to work to film in." So they actually took all the pictures they took of the actual sewer and part of uh, the, you know, shut down Grand Central Station areas and whatnot and use that to build the actual studios back in Wilmington. One of the early ideas that floated around for how to bring the turtles and live action all together was actually to do it in the way that um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit did. And so they were going to have animated turtles on screen next to live action people. Who Framed Roger Rabbit was an excellent movie. But back to Wilmington, North Carolina. There was another movie filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina. Do you guys remember what it was? There's been a lot of movies filmed there. Actually, one of them was uh, Cape Fear with Robert De Niro. Okay. Well, that's that's another one. But this one's actually a lot of people will know other than Cape Fear. It's The Crow. And it's actually filmed at the same location that the, I think it was the Foot Clan headquarters was, that like abandoned building. Mm-hmm. I think it was turned into a nightclub for the nightclub scene in The Crow. Yep, it was. I uh, I had that, but now I don't. So The thunderclouds <laughs> are just dispersing left and right. Well, uh, I didn't know where you got your, I, you know what, you said to do this, and I was looking up stuff on the car today waiting on my daughter. Okay, no, we, no, keep, we keep using the same websites for our research. <laughs> so back to the Roger Rabbit thing. As much as I love that style, and I think it works really well for a cartoony, slapsticky kind of comedy, I just can't picture the mm-hmm. turtles working that way. Like, especially with uh, with like the fight scenes and stuff, like with the foot soldiers. Like, are they also animated? And I don't know. That just that, and it also seems like it'd be a whole lot more work. Like, as difficult as it was to work in the suits, I'm sure that it was. I can't imagine animators trying to animate that to look anything other than just terrible. Right. <laughs> well, when I was when I was uh, watching something on Cool World, like the behind the scenes mm. on like the movie Cool World. An and that's something movie. they said in a, a very underrated movie. But it's mm. the same, essentially the same essence as Who's Framed Roger Rabbit, only it's a lot more adult themed. Um, just a little bit. Just a little bit, but a lot of the animators, they said a lot of the animators were having a very hard time keeping up with the production of the show. And a lot of the uh, actors were having a hard time pretending to interact with things that weren't there. Now it's commonplace, but back then it wasn't. Well, you know, we'll uh, we'll get more into how Who Framed Roger Rabbit was filmed because we do have W is for Who Framed Roger Rabbit coming up later in the season, which there's a lot to be said about how they did all of it. But we'll we'll get there. Wait a couple episodes, folks. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So, all right. The costumes f- were created by Jim Henson and uh, Jim Henson's workshop. Jim Henson said the creatures were the most advanced that he had ever worked with. The creatures were the first made out of fiberglass and then remolded out of clay, which is now common practice, uh, commonplace. And they were produced as molds to cast the entire body Foam rubber latex and uh, the work at the creature shop. The whole thing was done in 18 weeks, which is actually a pretty fast schedule 
Yes, it is. That's a quick turnaround. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It was all done in uh, in London. So I, I have no idea why they didn't just use a local shop. I guess London was cheaper and shipping costs. I don't know. Anyway, this was actually the last theatrical film that Jim Henson um, had a, a hand in. He did some TV stuff, but this was the actual last theatrical release. He was proud to have helped advance the art of animatronics because the helmets or the, the heads were nothing but a crazy helmet of animatronics. But he did view the violence as excessive, pointless, and not his style. And um, <laughs> yep. And he only took the job because Steve Barron, who directed the movie, directed the pilot episode of The Storyteller for Jim Henson. And so he did it as a favor to Barron to make this, the costumes. The fact that these people are complaining about the violence in a PG movie for kids, like, yeah, a couple people get kicked in the head. It's not like people are getting shot and stabbed left and right. Right. But it, it, I, it, it, from what I could find, it's the only time that Leonardo actually ever cut somebody with those swords. He, he cut Shredder at the end. Uh, yeah, in mm-hmm. in the second movie, Leonardo didn't even, Leonardo and Raphael didn't even use their weapons, didn't even uh, pull them out. So, lest I remind you, Monster Squad was also rated PG, and a mm-hmm. werewolf got exploded with dynamite in yeah. a gory rain of mess. So, so, the rating system is ridiculous because of the motors that were built into each uh, turtle head to create the expressions and whatnot. They were very tightly packed. And Josh Pius, who, uh, again, was the only one who did the voice and and the actual acting. So in addition to him being claustrophobic and ripping that head off every time, he also said it was so damn loud. It was like Grand Central Station at rush hour in a tin can on your head Ooh. all the time. So also, because the uh, the interior shots were in Wilmington, were close to an airport, it would cause the animatronics in the head to go a little haywire, the radio signals from the airport. And so they would just be filming a scene and Donatello's eye would just roll back at different points. <laughs> uh, is, is there any uh, footage of that in the film? I could not find any footage of it. <laughs> they actually went so far as to like keep that from uh, from actually becoming something that's in the film. If you actually watch at the, the, the scene where they go to the farmhouse, April O'Neil's farmhouse, Michelangelo doesn't have any speaking lines except for like three words. Because... They actually cut the scenes there at the farmhouse where Michelangelo spoke because they got all the way to the editing floor and realized that the scene where he was speaking, his eye was pointed in towards his nose the whole time. <laughs> and so they had to cut Michelangelo's dialogue from that entire thing. Anyway, so the helmets were actually, the heads were actually recycled and used for an Icelandic, or excuse me, an Ireland uh, TV show called The Morbex. Yeah. Were they like, like rock people it was like just their faces or something i think so i think i might have seen something about that before yeah it's weird all right so major studios actually turned it down uh turned down the movie thinking that it was you know hurt the popularity of other things it would be a uh, box office disappointment uh disney columbia mgm orion and paramount whose parent company Viacom would later uh, buy the property and then also Warner Brothers. But the film found distribution over at New Line Cinema. And what was New Line Cinema in 1990, Monster? It was the house that Freddie built. That's damn right. That's damn (laughs) right. 
So for those tune that, in for in is for Nightmare on Elm Street if you want to learn more. I was just gonna I was gonna give a quick summary of it, but uh, you know what? No, oh, please. No. Okay. Well, the house that Freddie built, New Line Cinema picked up uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and hey, I got the name of the movie right that time, and actually, good job. I uh, carried it on. And blew up Freddy and whatnot. So, uh, Sarge, you're making faces like you got something to say. So, I was curious about the 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 Morbigs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I yep. wanted to look at them. You could definitely tell it's the Ninja Turtle faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely tell it's the animatronics, but they are not rock people. Okay, I couldn't really remember. Honestly, I did not look up the Morbigs. They are this green and orange and probably yellow looking. Thing. Do you not know what yellow is? You said probably yellow. Well, one picture it's yellow. One per one one picture it's orange. Okay, it might just be the camera from the nineteen eighties. Yeah, but it's like weird. Yeah, I can't even describe it. It's it's, it's not rock people. It's monster, a children. It's a it's a children's show okay. from Ireland in the early nineties. I expect it to be weird. There must be a lot of drinking going on. Yeah, probably. All right, so according to Brian Henson, Jim's son, the film was finished in post-production largely without Baron, the director. Editor Sally Menke, this was her feature film debut, and she was removed because Golden Harvest didn't like her work. They uh, got some of the dailies, and they were like, nope, she's out of here. And Sally Menke is actually known for collaborating with Quentin Tarantino. In most of his movies, she hasn't done the last few because, well, she died. It's, you know, it's hard to keep editing. Uh, movies after that so josh pius i'm still not sure about how to say his name and he was on the podcast uh, i was there too he said director steve Barron was fired near the end of production as the producers thought the film would become too dark uh that is a dark ass movie it is that's the only account of what i could find steve Barron has never actually spoken publicly about it anywhere ever uh it's pretty much just not talked about all right are we ready to talk about the actual movie itself I thought we were already talking about the um, actual movie. That's what you said on Jurassic Park, <laughs> and I'm waiting for you to finally understand things I say. And we talked about the cast, we talked about production, now we're going to talk about the plot. So, as we all know... Four <laughs> turtles and a rat come in contact with a strange goo substance. They become ninjas. Dun, dun, dun. That's, that's so accurate, but shitty, okay? Yeah. Yep. Let I'm Danger sorry. tell it in so, his uh, exquisite way. I'm sure he has this planned out. That's like describing I have a quiver with anticipation. That that's like describing Fight Club as a man battles himself. Yeah, but it would be accurate. whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Spoilers for Fight Club. <laughs> All right. So originally, Steve Barron wanted to replicate April O'Neil's yellow jumpsuit from the comics, and Judith Hogue looked took one look at it and was like, "Yeah, no, that's terrible." And she was quoted as saying it was just horrifying. (laughs) So that was pretty much scrapped. Because of that, the only thing that April actually is referenced to her yellow jumpsuit is in the beginning. Then, you know, there's the the crime spree, things being stolen out. You actually see the one scene where the lady's watching uh, TV on the balcony or the fire escape. And, like, somebody takes her TV, like, as she turns away. And it's uh, ridiculous. So one night when April's leaving... She's mugged by a group of those same thieves because she catches them in the middle of it. And then the lights go out. The lights busted. And they do this actually because this was a later film that was seen and it was not choreographed. And so they just blew the light out, just turned the light out to hide the fact that there was uh, fighting going on. Anyway. Wasn't it the sigh that broke the light? Yeah. Like you could hear it like dragging across the ground. Like, 
Yeah. That was that was one of those classic scenes. I remember loving that when I was a kid. It was like it went dark and you heard a whole bunch of like punching and uh, uh, and stuff crashing. It was yeah. just pitch black. You couldn't yep. see anything. It, it was dark and it worked as a kid. It actually worked when I watched it recently today and I knew why they did it. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. It's uh, it still holds up. We're going to go with it. It's We're cool gonna... because it's cool because it kind of holds the mystery because until you see the movie, you don't really know what the turtles are actually going to look like. And so that kind of holds the suspense a little bit longer. I think it was smart. All right. Raphael loses his side there, which you see April stick it into her, uh, to her purse. And then the group heads on down to the sewers and they go back to their, their secret den and you meet Splinter. You actually see all the turtles as they're, you know, going down, uh, celebrating towards, towards the, uh, the den. And so then you meet Splinter. It took three puppeteers to operate Splinter. And this is the first time that the turtles use their short name, Leo, Donnie, Raph, Mikey, and after this, it's used. Before this, it was never used. But after this movie, it's used in the comics, the TV show, uh, the other movies that come about later. And this, from what I found, could not be confirmed, but it is a fan theory, and it's been loosely confirmed, but not actually said for sure. So the uh, the Ninja Turtles were a parody of Daredevil, written by Eastman and Laird. And it is said that the same ooze that mutates the, the turtles is the same chemical that blinded uh, Matt Murdock or Daredevil. And, you know, the whole thing about the foot, well, the main villains, the main ninja clan in Daredevil comics is called The Hand. And yeah, it's a. Uh, I like it. I like to imagine that these things are connected, but they're not actually connected because uh, they're written about. I don't know, 30 years apart from each other and different publishers and all that. So Sarge, yeah, but Sarge has if, a shitty grin. Sorry. Well, I was just going to before Sarge weighs in, I was just going to say, if you can have a Freddy versus Jason film, you could have a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Daredevil crossover, right? Well, there's been a Ninja Turtles Batman crossover, but I don't know about a yeah. Ninja Turtles Daredevil crossover. But also, Freddy and Jason are both owned by New Line Cinema now. So that's the only reason why we were able to get that actual movie and why it took, what was it, 10 years to actually come out after the first time it was teased with Freddy's hand grabbing Jason's mask. Right. Sarge? Yeah, you were, okay. So, you were grinning. Fan theories. Yeah. I, was, I was grinning about fan theories. And this is one I've known for a while. So, like, Raph is known for his attitude, right? His mm -hmm. uh, hot temper, one might say. Which he, did not, he's, he didn't have before this movie. It's true. But they're saying that the fan theory is that size are pretty much a defensive weapon. Only you can't really kill someone with a size unless you stab them in the eyeball. Mm -hmm. I mean, so they're like that. That that tempers his anger, and like you know, nunchucks are hard to master. And with Michelangelo being the free spirit, you know, it forces him to focus. Or ADD Donatello, kid. yep. Um, Donat is like fidget spinner, only a lot dangerous. Um, Donatello is, you know, he's the smart one and using the bow staff requires coordination, intelligence, yada, yada, yada. And you notice how Leonardo is the only one with a sharp object that can actually really kill somebody and that he's a leader, but he never really cuts anybody with him. He uses them more defensively. He does use them to cut pizza. He does and, use them, but that's the not movie. somebody. No. <laughs> well, and foot soldiers in the 1980s, 1990s cartoons. So... I don't remember him actually cutting anybody except for Shredder in this movie, and uh, I always thought well, that was that was weird. But 
Yeah. When 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 it hit the foot soldier in the cartoon, just like clang. Did this guy say clang? And then no, he got. Then uh, Leo chopped one dude with this with the thing. He's like they're robots. Oh, I don't remember that. I'm not doubting it. I just don't remember it. I'm not. Doubting I just watched it. I watched watched the series with the kids. So okay. I know. All right. <laughs> so Raphael's upset because he lost his sigh. Storms out. And then this is when you actually see in the background of that whole argument, you actually hear Michelangelo ordering pizza. And the part about that that bothers me the most is that he actually, when he orders the pizza, he specifies no anchovies. I have worked in three different pizza places and we have never just put anchovies. on. I've actually only ever put anchovies on one pizza. And uh, it was like a special tin was brought out. I had gloves and put the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anchovies uh, were never really put on the pizzas. My dad absolutely loves anchovies and he almost always requests anchovies when he orders a pizza and nobody ever has it. And if they do have it, they will literally put one little fish on each slice of pizza and it infuriates my dad. (laughs) Yeah. I worked for Papa John's and Domino's multiple Papa John's locations and Papa John's was the place where I did it. And I do remember we uh, we did lay each of them on individually. Yeah, it was kind of like what Eva doing. It's like it's not a lot of coverage there. At no, all. no. no. Uh, but a can of a can of anchovies is freaking expensive, though. Yeah, and and that's that's usually what he would do is he would get like a can of them and put it on the pizza. Please continue. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I like caviar on my pizza. Next, thank you. <sighs> caviar is not bad, but on a pizza, I don't think it would be a good thing. Anyway. So then we see Raphael and Donatella. We actually see Donatella skateboarding up to uh, Raphael, which he is skateboarding through a horribly disgusting littered uh, subway. And I don't know how he actually uh, was able to roll through this, this, uh, this subway part, but he did. So anyway, pizza guys got 30 seconds. Michelangelo says, and then there is something that even bothered me as a kid, because if you understand physics, this should be something that gets your attention. When the pizza guy pulls up and finally realizes that the, the grate is where he's going to be going to for the pizza, he turns the pizza sideways and slides it down. So do you guys know what happens to a pizza box that has a pizza in it? You turn it sideways. The pizza falls in and gets messed up. And it drives me nuts every time I see it because then the next scene, they open the pizza box and the pizza, well, no, excuse me. They don't open the pizza box. You just see Michelangelo holding the pizza that is uncut. <laughs> they have delivered an uncut pizza and then they throw it up in the air and Leonardo cuts it and you actually see less pieces fall than there actually is pizza. But, you know, uh, if we're not talking about the physics of why the pizza didn't slide down inside the box going through the grate, we're not going to talk about the lack of pizza matter. Pizza. Look, look, we all didn't work at Papa John's, okay? We can't possibly all have the knowledge of pizza slices that you have, Danger, okay? Give us a break. And who knows, the rest of them could have landed back in the box. He was that good. No, no, just no, (laughs) just no. So That's where I draw the line on the turtle movie with the guys in the big green costumes. All right. The believability stops there. Okay, well, if the believability is going to stop there, well, let me continue talking about the unbelievability of certain things. So uh, we actually see Raphael exit a movie theater in a trench coat because nobody is going to question a green-faced, large-backed man who probably couldn't fit into a a theater chair uh, in a fedora and a trench coat. But when he's actually leaving, you actually see um, a... uh, 
uh, he he went to go see Batman, and we know this because he says "cool car, stupid costume" when he leaves, and uh, you actually see a Batman poster. So you know, we know that it was that's the only way we know that it was filmed in '89, more or less. So, um, all right. So who does he meet when he leaves the movie theater? He meets Casey Jones, um, accosting, <laughs> you know, um, interrupting uh, some some muggers doing their job, <laughs> and and so then. Uh, Raphael uh, interferes for whatever reason. I don't know. Never made sense to me. It's like, hey, this guy's doing what we do, and he's being a good guy. And I'm I'm the only good guy here, and I'm in a trench coat and a fedora for some reason. And nobody can tell me, uh, tell that it's me. So anyway, they get into a fight. Do you remember what he hits uh, Raphael with? What Casey, what Casey Jones hits Raphael with? Cricket bat. Cricket bat, right. And so... When uh, he got hit into the trash can, the uh, face the animatronics inside actually caved in and broke his nose, broke the stuntman's nose. And actually, when he gets up, you actually see him grab his face. And that's where the stuntman (laughs) was grabbing his nose. (laughs) And then they just they edited and fixed the helmet and all that. But yeah, so if you ever watch the movie again, when you see him get up and you see him grab his face, you can... You you know that the entire inside of that mask is filling with blood from the guy's nose that's now broken. Yeah, good fun times. All right. So then April runs into trouble with uh, the police chief for uh, blaming him for not following up on the rumors of the Foot Clan. So then mysterious figures follow April uh, or orders April be silenced. And that mysterious figure is Shredder. Sam Rockwell. No, no, it's not Sam Rockwell. <laughs> so, but uh, actually, I only know of Sam Rockwell in two places in the movie. There, in the very beginning, when you, we first get introduced into the uh, the uh, the crows filming set or the Foots hideout, where they're you know luring kids in with fun things like uh, poker and pool and cigarettes and comic books uh, and skateboarding, alcohol, and, yeah, alcohol too, yeah, alcohol, right. So she's attacked in the subway a little bit later. Raphael fights him off. And then for whatever reason, after he just got yelled at from Flinter about what's he seen, and it's important to uh, maintain their anonymity, he then takes her back to where they all are, to where she wakes up and is introduced to the rest of the turtles, Splinter, and learns about the ooze and how they became the turtles. And then uh, that's where you see a rat doing karate. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, makes no sense. And that's the only time they actually have real turtles in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. The little baby turtles. All right. Chief Starnes, the uh, the police chief, finds they had arrested April's boss, the, uh, Charles Pennington, so um, uh, his son, Danny, uh, for stealing because he's then uh, co-opted into being a foot. So I got a question, though. Shredder's right-hand man in the foot, would it be, be his right foot man? No, it'd be his right-hand foot. Okay. All right, cool. Thank you for yeah. clearing that up yeah. because uh, that actually crossed my brain earlier, and I was like, nope. I don't know the wording of this. So, all right. Nope, that's accurate. I I, I am correct, for sure. Okay, cool. Thank you for your uh, confidence and your factual ability. We're going to go. Oh, absolutely. That word to, yeah, that's, all right. So, that's what Monster's here for. Yep. Yeah. So. Take your time. Sorry. I, I had to skip past notes. I had to skip past nar- parts of my notes that uh, that were stolen. Sarge already said. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. So, rest of Danny, 
you know, try to use them as leverage to get in uh, more information on uh, the Foot Clan. So then in the morning, Charles warns her while Danny becomes uh, suspicious when he thinks he sees Michelangelo. And uh, Charles takes Danny to school. They get into an argument. Danny runs away. He goes back to the old, to the Foot Clan. Then uh, that's where Shredder and the Foot Clan, their hideout, were not just used in The Crow, but they were used in the uh, the wonderful 1993 Super Mario's movie for the set of Dino Hatton. <laughs> I it forgot was, about that. Yeah, it sure was. Mo- most people Chris forgot about Pratt. that movie as a whole. Chris Pratt be damned. There's only one Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> and is it terrible? Yes, but it's all we had. <laughs> yep. It was all we had. It was all we had to hold on to. And we even knew holding on to it. It was like, this is a turd, but it's my Funny turd. story, not to derail everything, mm-hmm. but I actually went and saw a showing of it at the Carolina Theater. And one of the extras who was in the film is from this area and came and spoke for a minute and brought one of their royalty checks. They get a royalty check about once a month for about 13 cents mm-hmm. for being in the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> yep. Uh, Jalo Guzamo actually uh, collects, I think it is about $7 a year on royalties from that movie. That's yeah. that's passive income. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah. You just need a lot more shitty movies <laughs> to, yes. to, to actually be able to pay a bill. So, um, all right. Shredder announces the search for the turtles. Danny speaks up. April continues to accost Chief Starnes in her report while the turtles get used to their new living situation because they're then out of the the sewers and uh, up there with April in her apartment. Uh, Leonardo and Raphael get into a fight. Raph goes to the roof to cool off because what does Raphael do? I'm I'm just going to call him Raph. Uh, use his shortened name. Uh, what does he do? What's the one boundary that he has set? Distance. Raphael is struggling emotionally, and we see him grow as a, I would say person, but we see him grow as a turtle. So anyway, April takes the rest of them on a tour of the thrift shop that she lives above, uh, because everybody lives above a thrift store. And Casey spots Raphael on the uh, rooftop, just in time for him to be ambushed by dozens of the foot. Could say they kicked his ass. Um, sorry. No, not sorry. Battle, you know, grows and uh, we see, you know, fire happens and whatnot. All right. There's a couple of continuity issues that I do want to bring up at different points. And right here is one of them. So during the fight at the apartment, the electricity gets severed. But then April's boss calls to tell her she's been fired during the scene. I do know that it, the phones don't run on power lines, but there's still some power that runs through there. And the phones aren't going to work with that power. So I don't get that. Uh, continuity. Yay. Good times. Uh, actually, actually, telephones, old school landlines, do not require power to operate. There is a bit of power that runs through them, as I found out when I got my uh, the landline and stuff disconnected from the house just recently. But the other part about the power that does not make sense is that he actually calls and leaves a message on her answering machine <laughs> that does run on power for sure. That yeah, the answer machine does, yes. Yeah. I mean, I do know they, they do tell us that if you're stuck in an environment where power goes out, that your analog telephones, your old school telephones, do not run on on power. Okay. I'm just going off of what I know from when I had uh, my landline wire and stuff taken down. Mm. I've been pulling landlines out of my house. So, all right. Ugh. 
then they leave and go to April's abandoned family farmhouse. And this is where I was talking about that Raphael has no lines because his eye was pointed in the whole time. So the old farmhouse is uh, located in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts, uh, which is actually the city where Kevin Laird and Peter Eastman actually met when they created the Turtles franchise, the comic book and all. And in the movie, it's located there. In in reality, it's located just like in Wilmington, North Carolina. So Leonardo feels guilty. You know, he's trying to meditate and talk to Splinter, who I'm sorry, I did miss this detail before, but Splinter was actually captured when the foot raided the sewer. And so he's back at the foot clan house, clubhouse. I, I don't I don't know what you would call it. Anyway, so Donatello and Casey bond over repairing a truck. Yay. Heartfelt moment. And uh April O'Neil draws, showing her ability to draw. Evidently, that was supposed to be a major point of character development, and it was never talked about again. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Raphael, who was knocked out in the uh, the apartment attack, uh, comes too. And this is where you fe- you get the one bit of dialogue, because he wakes up and starts arguing with Leonardo right away. <laughs> so he picks up where they left off at the, uh, the apartment. This is where you get the one part of dialogue where Donatello and Michelangelo are like, you know, like they see them start to argue and they're like, fight, fight, kitchen, kitchen, pork rind, pork rind. And then that's all the dialogue that Michelangelo has the whole time. So anyway, I had I had one question uh, about Casey Jones. Is there any indication or inklings that he was inspired by Jason Voorhees? Is the hockey mask just purely a coincidence or was there more to it than that? It was purely a coincidence. I've never found anything saying that he was inspired by Jason Voorhees, but I do want to know why he's not wearing sweatpants and a crop top, crop top like he is in the toy. That is true. Yeah, that's, that's true. right. That's right. Yep. Fair enough. Um, but then again, we did have uh, Jason Voorhees was purple in the video game and the NES game and uh, not in the movie. So. Still scared the hell out of me when I was like six. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, all right. Raphael wakes up. They meditate. See Splinter, you know, kind of tells them, you know, gives them a goodbye speech sort of thing. Then they all go to bed. While that's happening, Danny meets Splinter at the foot hideout at their clubhouse. And then Splinter tells uh, the story of Oroku Saki killed his master, Hamato Yashi. That's when Danny realizes that Saki is Shredder. What plot twist? Okay, um, yeah. Uh, when they return, the turtles find Danny in their uh, in their sewer den, and then that's when he offers them a gracious gift of moldy pizza. And uh, because I don't feel like they've got a lot of refrigeration down in the sewer, April gives one of her drawings. And feeling claustrophobic in the sewer, Casey goes to sleep in his truck and sees Danny sneaking out. Uh, he then follows Danny to the foot's hideout and confronts him. Overhearing Shredder ordering Splinter's, um, I was going to say killing, but he's a rat, so extermination. Mm, that works. Yep. <laughs> yep. So they, you know, try to go and rescue him. The foot attacks the turtles in their hideout again, and are uh, they're actually ambushed by them and April. I don't know if you guys remember, but there's a very vivid memory I have of April with Donatella's bow staff, like waiting for a foot to walk in the right spot for her to like, you know, jam down and hit him in the head. One of them was like slapping one and like, all right, a little bit this way, a little bit that way, yep. a little bit this way. And then she popped him. Yeah. Yep. I remember that. Yep. So 
Um, the fight eventually spills out into the streets. I don't understand how the logistics of it worked where they were on the streets and the rooftop, but they were. And so one of the, uh, not continuity, but mess ups that happened here. So in that fight, you actually see a foot soldier get thrown into a staircase on a fire escape. And uh, you hear his head hit the metal stair, but you never see it hit the metal stair. But you see the stuntman act like he's hurt his head and get jolted back. And uh, it's something I even noticed as a kid. I was like, why Why did that man act like that when <laughs> when nothing happened? I, I don't understand. So anyway, the turtles are all on the roof and you see um, I think it's Raphael run for shredder first. And then you see Leonardo lunge at him with swords because uh, that's safe. And then you see him like fight a little bit more. And that's what I was talking about where you see him cut him. And then you see him kind of dispose of the other two turtles. And they're like, you know, Holy shit, this guy's strong. And then you hear a sound and then suddenly splinter appears. And this is the only time where splinter actually, displays any martial arts shredder actually displays any martial arts because in the, the, I don't know if you guys remember in the second movie shredders kind of shows up and screams and then you see it like he falls through a pier, but shredder lunges at splinter splinter pulls out a uh, nunchuck that was lost in Michelangelo's fight with splinter with shredder. And then he like, you know, uh, actually drops him off the roof when splinter or shredder tries to throw a knife at him. So, in actually the full screen DVD release of the movie, you actually can see Splinter's puppeteer most of the time just on the edge of the screen. And I watched the full screen edition recently, or today. Sorry, I don't know why I keep going with recently. Watched it today. And uh, sure enough, you, you could see him. He's right there. And it I don't want to say it ruined it for me because I knew that it was a damn <laughs> puppet. But, you know, I was taken out of the magic of the big rat. Anyway, when Shredder falls... This is when Casey becomes a psychopath and Shredder falls into a garbage truck and Casey suddenly knows how to operate a garbage truck and smashes him. So then Casey and April embrace in the streets. Uh, April kisses Casey and that's when you hear uh, Donatello Young yell 9.95. And then in the credits, the song 9.95 by Spunkadelic plays. So. Spunkadelic. Yep. Yep. Spunkadelic. Ugh. Danny reunites with his father, and that's when he's called Dan, and he's not wearing a uh, Sid Vicious shirt suddenly. He did a costume change. And then uh, Sam uh, Rockwell tells uh, the police to go check out a warehouse, which is the foot uh, hideout. Okay. So that is the entire movie that we got. In the original ending of the movie, April and Danny go to a comic book publisher to pitch the idea of walking, talking, fighting turtles. The publisher throws out the idea, says it's too far-fetched and ridiculous, and the entire time the turtles are watching through a window. I I, I think that would have been a terrible ending, but, you know. Nah, that sounds so, cute. That, yeah. that sort of keeps with the spirit of the movie. Yeah. So, all right. Real quick, the marketing. Domino's is in the movie, as uh, as you, you mentioned earlier, Sarge. Mm-hmm. But Pizza Hut actually did a $20 million advertising campaign <laughs> marketing campaign but they're not in the movie it's dominoes dominoes didn't do anything but guess who made more money out of the deal dominoes <laughs> wow yeah pizza hut had uh you know games and stuff to give with pizza for kids and all but 
Dominoes actually end up getting more publicity out of the entire thing. So, released to VHS in 1990, and then it got a release on. Uh, do you guys remember the mini DVDs? Mm-hmm. Uh, the the most the mini DVDs actually got was actually the same format was used for the GameCube. That's yeah. what I was getting ready to say. I, I don't remember mini DVDs, but I had a Nintendo GameCube, so I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> Those discs yeah. were were cool, though. I mean, yeah. no, there was a there was they were a, tiny. There was a few movies that got released on on the mini DVD format. I don't remember all the movies, but they were older movies because they didn't take up a lot of space. The you know there wasn't a lot of of uh, stuff to put on there. So, um, in 2009, the films were all packaged together. All the uh, the sequels for the 25th anniversary. Now let's talk about the box office performance. Now this was an independent movie. This was one of the first comic book movies. I don't remember what the first one was, but this was one of the first. So the film opened in the United States in 1990. It was number one at the box office the first weekend, and it grossed uh, 25 million that first weekend. 135 million in North America overall. 66 million outside of North America. And uh, a total of two hundred two million on a thirteen point five million dollar budget. Yeah, they made some money, and that's what we call a return. A return. Yep. Yeah. Now, you guys remember how Corey Feldman <laughs> was paid fifteen hundred bucks for the movie, and he was told it wasn't going to uh, succeed. Yeah, it made a lot of money. It was actually the highest grossing independent movie until the Blair Witch Project. It held something that title. tells me. Even in 1990, Corey Feldman was financially okay. Yeah. Mentally, physically, in any other way determinable, he was not okay. But financially, he was. Yeah. Let's talk about the critics real quick. All right. On Rotten Tomatoes, it holds 41% tomato meter from critics, but then 81% from uh, the audiences. It's actually really hard to find negative reviews of this movie. But guess what, guys? I did it. I did it. I, I found do, uh Do our boys Siskel and Ebert show up here? Oh, the first one we're going to talk about is uh, Mr. Roger Ebert gave the movie... Son of a two, bitch. He gave the movie 2.5 out of 4 stars, and he said, <laughs> nowhere near as bad as it might have been and probably the best possible Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. It supplies, in other words, more or less what Turtle fans will expect. End quote. <laughs> Yep. Let's see. Owen Gilberman of Entertainment Weekly gave the movie an F rating, (laughs) finding that none of the four turtles or Splinter had any personality, but felt that a young audience would enjoy the film. Kim Newman of Monthly Film Bulletin, which is a very minor publication, uh, found the characters reminiscent of early 1970s Godzilla film series and uh, describing the turtles as lovable monsters in baggy foam rubber suits who befriended lost children and smashed things up in orgies of destruction, which is my new band name. Um, <laughs> and they somehow never actually hurt anyone, except for that stuntman who never really hit the, the stair, but uh, hit the stair somehow. Anyway, Newman also noted a racist joke in April O'Neil's response to the Foot Clan. She said... Uh, What's the matter? Did I fall behind on my Sony payments? And found the film expressed uh, a resentment of Japan's economic strength, even while the film is plundering Japan's popular culture. I think Kim Newman overthought the movie a little bit. And uh, it's it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You don't go too deep. 
<laughs> so, all right. And last but not least, we're uh, going to talk sequels and reboot. Oh, boy. Yep. Real quick, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because I would have a lot to say about them, and that would be another hour, hour and a half, and we're not going to do that. Oh, yeah. A year after it came out, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, was released in 93. The third movie, which was where they had the uh, the time-traveling staff thing, uh, Lantern. Back to, like, yeah. Samurai time or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, after 14 years... TMNT was released in in 07, which is actually, um, I enjoyed it. I, I did. I was well past the age it was aimed for, and I didn't care. I liked it. Is that is yeah. that the one with Megan Fox and nope. what's his name? Nope, that's where we're going next. So Okay. And then seven years later, we got the reboot with uh, Megan Fox and Will Arnett. Um, Will Arnett, yeah. Yeah, and the uh, Michael Bay produced movies. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles um, in 2014, and then in 2016, we got the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. And I'm not going to go into commentary on those two movies. So, all right. Uh, that's all I got for TMNT, T-U-R-T-L-E Power. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta say, that was pretty cool. I hadn't thought about those movies in a long time. I I need to go back and revisit it because I remember watching it a lot. Especially the first two, Secret of the Ooze. I really liked the costume design after they got all bulked out and like real grody looking. I like that. However, you didn't bring this up, but I wanted to ask: What do you call a flying turtle? I don't know. What? A shellicopter. Mm, yeah, that's a that's the thing you said. I do think with uh, with Halloween in just a few days, we need to. Uh, to examine a few things, I'm going to ask you guys a question of why don't monsters eat ghosts? Because they taste like sheet. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I think the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles might be the most famous of all the turtles. What do you call a famous turtle? I don't know what. A celebrity. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Such such an aggressive inhale. <laughs> I uh, it's it's like you were breathing in deeply uh, for oh. like like to survive. <laughs> like that oh, was, that hurt that hurt on a that that hurt on a level you guys will never know. Hey, you're welcome. So why uh, did the ninja go to the doctor? Well, why? Because he had a ninjury. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. That was good. I like that. There's only one I got. So. <laughs> that's all, right. all you need. If it's that good, that's all you need. <laughs> okay, so when we were kids, uh, we were not well off. We were we were pretty poor. And uh, we did afford this movie on VHS, which we watched all the time. But uh, because we were poor, I was forced to walk the plank because we couldn't afford a dog. And uh, and And to your point, Danger, Halloween is coming up. If anybody is interested in some costume ideas, I got invited to a costume party and I went as a turtle. I had a shell of a time. Why aren't ninjas allowed on film sets? Because <laughs> you can't see them? No, no, because they keep throwing stars. Yep. <laughs> okay, that's good. I like, you know what? I'm going to save that one and use it for later. Cause that is good. Thank you for that one. All right. And thank you for listening, everybody do appreciate it. If you have a suggestion for a topic that you would like us to cover, please shoot us an email 
at dangerandsarge at gmail.com. Uh, That's not .org or .edu. That is uh, gmail.com. So you mean this is isn't educational? <laughs> no, no, not educational in a way that's going to make any difference, any in any positive change. So, all right. Um, you're also, uh, please feel free to reach out to us. Uh, look us up, Danger and Sarge, on Facebook. But thank you for listening. I uh, always appreciate it from everybody. And uh, until next time, say goodbye, fellas. Goodbye, fellas. Later. Bye. It's over. Done. Done.